We're recording on Gadigal land and we acknowledge the traditional owners of country throughout Australia and pay our respects to their culture and elders. I'm Claire Fletcher. And we love rom-coms. They are our favourite kind of love stories. We love reading and watching rom-coms so much that we started writing our own. We're always chasing that rom-com feeling. You know the one. The warm and fuzzy one. We might not be experts, but by God, we are enthusiastic. We're two Australian authors who end up talking about rom-coms when we hang out. So we figured we might as well start recording it. So here we are with all the gear and really no idea. But all of the heart. <laughs> we thought we'd get started by introducing ourselves and letting you know a little bit about us. So, Claire, please kick off. So, I'm an author of romantic comedies myself. I had my debut come out last year uh, in August 2022, and that's called Five Bush Weddings, um, following a wedding photographer around, as you might have guessed, many weddings in the bush. And I have a follow-up coming out in September 2023 called Love Match. And both of those stories really take place in a fictionalised version of regional Queensland, where I come from, a town called St George. And, yeah, I think I just seem to keep going back to that world in my writing. I get called rural romance a bit, which is a very difficult phrase to say. Rural rom-com? I prefer rom-com and I think it's just because I love the genre so much but they certainly have a rural setting. Yeah I think that the fictional town of South Star just comes alive because obviously your experience of where you grew up and I'm so excited for Love Match to come out. I have been lucky enough to have an early read so uh, everyone is in a retreat with that one. I am also an author of rom-com. My print rom-com debut came out in April this year, Duck or Orange for Breakfast. And I love writing love stories that I say span the globe, um, which really is a great excuse for tax deductions, tax time. My next book, Never Ever Forever, is actually coming out in November this year and set in India. And I frequently love to read in the bath. And Claire, I'd like to pose the question to you. (laughs) Where do you like to read your rom-coms? Mate, I'll read them anywhere. It's more about finding the time. It's usually like in the bed next to my husband while he's grunting with the light out, hoping that I will turn the light out as well. (laughs) Incredibly dull. (laughs) And intimate. Mm. (laughs) I was going to also say, uh, do you think it affects our enjoyment of rom-coms depending on where we read them? Because I find I haven't read romantic comedy yet. The Curtis and Yeah. Um, And I think it's because I want to treat it well. Like I want to take it on holidays and give it, you know, its best life to really enjoy it. That's a really great point. I mean, I think for me, it's often not so much about location as where you are in life. I mean, I read One Day, David Nichols' classic. I don't know if we call it, well, it's pretty funny. I guess it could fall in romantic comedy. But I read that when I had first landed in New York in 2010 Um, and I uh, honestly believe like I met my husband very randomly in New York probably two weeks after that and I sincerely believe it kind of put me in the frame of mind to fall in love. You manifested that via (laughs) rom-com it's amazing you're so powerful. It's so funny though I mean that book was everything to me at that time I just found it so moving and so beautiful Um, and then I reread it a few years ago and I think it's just that difference of being in your 20s to being in your 30s in your 20s all of those kind of miscommunications and just the the bullshit that stops a couple getting together um feels very real but I think once you're looking back from your 30s you're just like Jesus get it together you kids the miscommunication trope and speaking of tropes (laughs) (laughs) we have a great one for you today um so let's dive right in so I think when we decided that we were going to do this podcast thing for real our real personalities came out and I immediately started making very detailed notes trying to plan out exactly how this thing was going to go and even scripting some stuff and Karina I think you were much more of the let's just see what happens well as you know the way that I write my books is starting with the title so that was the thing that I was really keen on and then under that once I have the title that's where I have magic and play. So um, when we started to talk about the content and we decided that we might structure the episodes via tropes, 
we realised something very interesting, Claire. Well, again, and I think this is where hopefully, like any great romance, we're compromising from our two different worldviews and bringing those together. But I don't know. I didn't know what a trope was and I'm still not entirely sure I know what a trope is. Somehow I missed that day in class at uh, rom-com school. Rom-com school. Where is rom-com school? I think it's like uh, Hogwarts. It would be like Hogwarts. Wow. A whole sorting hat kind of thing. (laughs) So tropes, I think I got into them probably via book talk. Well, that's another big difference between us. You're on TikTok and I am not. I am too scared. I'm, I'm too more old. of a, a voyeur. So for any listeners um, that want to crawl on over to my booktop page, <laughs> I will be exposed there. But I'm definitely a voyeur. And that's when I really started to, I think, notice tropes um, and then start to classify things that I was reading and writing as well. Uh, so from office romances to roommates um, to forced proximity, which is what we're going to be chatting about today, to snowed in, marriage of convenience. I wonder how many there actually are. That's your job, Claire, to put them in a spreadsheet. Oh, okay. I'll get on that after we finish here. So I think I thought forced proximity would be a good place to start because I think when you, as a writer, when you're starting to work on a rom-com, you're coming up with a situation where your two romantic leads are going to have to keep seeing each other and having to spend time together. Um, And sometimes, you know, that comes with a really high concept conceit and then other times it's more natural. I think I heard someone say you're allowed to have a certain number of coincidences but after a while um, sometimes readers or viewers don't enjoy that so much. Um, So, yeah, it sounds like there are a lot of different kinds of forced proximity Mm. within that umbrella. Mm. I'm also all for the coincidences. Like if I told you what happens in my life, you know, the... (laughs) Life is uh, stranger than fiction. But I think forced proximity is a great one to start because it's what I would call an umbrella term for some more of the granular tropes. Um, So within forced proximity, you have one bed, you have workplace romance. So it's like a Venn diagram. So my first question is, if we were to define forced proximity, the space is really quite uh, elastic. So you have stuck on an island, which is actually my current work in progress, which has been a lot of fun, to, yeah, sharing the one bed, which I guess is the classic flatmates example, um, which is Beth O'Leary's, the flat share, sorry, flatmates, the flat share. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I guess it could even be a small town um, where you're often running into each other. Like South Star? Like South Star, exactly. Well, you know, that's why all these rural stories are so good. It's often, you know, someone new comes to town and then they keep bumping into the same person. In Five Bush Weddings, it was, you know, a wedding photographer running into an old friend who happens to be the best man at a lot of these weddings. So I suppose talking about current examples, uh, we can't go past Emily Henry's latest read. Uh, Emily Henry, for those, I don't know why you would be listening to our podcast if you don't know Emily (laughs) Henry, no shame, Um, but book talk queen, uh, US author, uh, Happy Place is her most recent release and her fourth book. And that centres around two exes who are forced to share a room and pretend that they're still together while on holidays with their friend group. So that really is, um, yeah, forced proximity personified. Would you count it as just one bed? It maybe is. So I'm keen to talk about just one bed as a separate episode because of all the consent issues that I think come up around that. You Um, just love a just one bed as well. I do love just one bed. We're not talking top to tail either. (laughs) We're talking proper spooning. Not to give anything away in Happy Place, but I do believe that there's some floor sleeping, you know, there's a lot of creative ways to get around the one bed trope. That's true. And that does raise a good point. Are we going to go in for spoilers in podcast Karina? I don't want hate mail especially when starting out I just need positive reinforcement so uh, perhaps not I think there was a rule about what is a spoiler Um, there's some diagram if it's been out for x amount of time you can spoil up to 50 percent so maybe we should look up the rules of that first and decide what our position as our podcast take on spoilers. That's a good idea yeah we need to figure out what our statute of limitations is. Happy Place was only released a few months ago so I think we would certainly refrain from spoiling anything there but I think once it comes to like your classic 80s, 90s rom-com films, I think we can assume a certain level of knowledge in our listeners. Yeah, and I'm guessing also the happy ending. Is that a spoiler? I mean, 
Rom-coms, happy ending. It's the basic promise of a rom-com. Mm. It's kind of, and I think that that comes back to the rom-com feeling, right? Because you know that you're going to have a comforting watch because you know whatever happens on the way there, these characters are going to have a happy ending. Mm. And I think that's interesting with the tropes as well because in the rom-com genre, some writers, I'm not one of those writers, as we discussed, um, I'm more of a pants as they say so fly by the seat of my pants um actually do chart when things are happening on the page so you can turn to page 70 and x will be happening um in the rom-com genre and i believe that's the same with some tropes as well there's certain expectations that readers go into reading a story that's branded or marketed as forced proximity and i think it is just giving them that extra level of comfort so they're getting it from the genre and then they're getting that extra, you know, little top sheet uh, from the trope. In the just one bed, the top sheet. <laughs> top sheet. As a writer, I would bloody love to have that textbook of what happens on what page. Sometimes I just wish it would give me just the plot, how to put lay it out and just let me play in that. So back to the forced proximity trope. Claire, what would you say is your favourite text that follows that? Oh, there's so many that could go under it. I mean, I did really enjoy the flat share, Beth O'Leary. I think it's an interesting one because it's two strangers in one bed, but they're not there at the same time. Um, And so even though they have this kind of intimacy in terms of their space, they're actually getting to know each other through kind of notes that they're leaving behind for each other. So it was kind of a way to turn that on its head a little bit. Yeah, and I wonder if we will get fan mail or (laughs) otherwise stating that it doesn't actually fall under uh, forced proximity uh, because they don't share the bed. But I suppose an Australian example that I've really enjoyed is um, Jodie McAllister. She has two books out in what I think will ultimately be a three-book series and they're all set on a fictional reality TV show called Marry Me Juliet. Jodie's really interesting as a writer because she's got an academic background as well and she's studied romance writing and she also knows a hell of a lot about reality TV. She's a bit of an expert on The Bachelor. And I think if you are someone who enjoys those TV shows, there'll be so many beautiful little nuggets and Easter eggs in these books that you'll enjoy. But essentially they're set on this show, Marry Me Juliet. It's a lot like The Bachelor. It's a lot of women vying for the affection of one man. Um, But it also plays out during COVID. Um, And so everyone goes on to the show and then they immediately get locked down. So even as the girls are kind of eliminated from the competition, they still have to stay on the property. Oh, my God, how awkward. I love that. So, yeah, on set is already forced proximity and then the pandemic just opened up another level of forced proximity, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, So in the first book in the series, which is called For the Right Reasons, Um, You have a a girl called Cece who's on the show and she falls for the lead, whose name is Dylan, um, but she's actually eliminated from the show in the first round. So because of the forced proximity of being in lockdown, she's still there on the property and they become friends. Um, And then there's another book in the series which is kind of taking place concurrently to the action in that first book and it's called Can I Steal You for a Second? And it features two of the other female contestants um, also becoming friends and then realising that they love each other. And I saw there's a third book coming out in the series as well. Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah, the third one is going to be about the kind of villain um, in the story, Lily Fireball, and one of the producers called Murray, which is exactly what I was hoping that it would be about. And uh, I actually guessed correctly what the title is going to be, but she hasn't publicised that yet. Was there a jelly bean guessing competition or what did you win? (laughs) (laughs) I didn't win anything, but she uh, just did a cryptic post on Instagram and then she DM'd me to tell me that I was right. Oh, I love it. And you mentioned before, obviously, your book Five Bush Weddings, uh, Forced Proximity, The Small Town. And I'm a huge watcher of Hallmark movies. Uh, (laughs) It's my favourite season of the year. Do start, I think, September is actually acceptable, passport that you have a spreadsheet. I do have a spreadsheet. I feel like we might have to have a Christmas episode, a Festivus, um, to go through them all. But a popular, so small town, so city gal Mm -hmm. goes back to small town and gets snowed in there and generally inherits an inn, um, (laughs) runs a cafe, a small bookshop. Happens all the time. (laughs) So I definitely love a small town trope, forced proximity small town trope. 
And obviously you've spoken about Jodie McAllister's amazing books um, and she's an Australian author. And I think um, from BookTok's success, a US author who does the small town trope or forced proximity trope um, is Tessa Bailey's Hook, Line and Sinker. So that's a massive BookTok book. And people say it's fan fiction of Schitt's Creek, which I don't know if you've watched Schitt's Creek, but City Gal goes back um, to a coastal town, yeah, is forced to kind of interact with the folk there. So you told me that this book is uh, pretty spicy, as I, they say. I listened to it on audio in the car with my niece, who's nine. <laughs> and there's a bit How of... How did that play out? There's a bit of nips, a bit of, a bit of nips in the beginning. But I mean, look, rom-com without spice, is it rom-com? Well, as someone who has written only what we call closed-door sex scenes, so... I'm not showing a lot of graphic action on the page. I like to think that you can still build quite a lot of intimacy and even heat without showing the act itself. But I know that there are readers who are really driven by and counting on that, whether it's the one big scene at the, the point, you know, seven-eighths of the way through the story where it's supposed to happen, um, or if it's one of these spicier titles, lots of scenes... Yeah, I don't know. It's not it's not something that I'd need as long as the the intimacy mm. of a relationship is there. And honestly, like I think the feeling that I'm chasing in a rom-com is more about the falling in love with the chemistry than actually seeing detailed boning. Mm. <laughs> detailed boning. <laughs> uh, yes, I think, you know, the, the reason we started writing rom-com and reading and starting this podcast is that warm, fuzzy feeling. But I must say, if plotting tropes and heat, I would say forced proximity is probably more lends itself to a bit of heat, especially when we are talking about a uh, one-bed trope. Um. Well, the other one is the classic, uh, we're lost in the snow or in a storm and we must um, huddle together with our clothes off to conserve body heat. Yeah, so it's a matter of life or death, literally. (laughs) (laughs) Having said that, uh, under the forced proximity umbrella does fit the workplace romance and I do enjoy the classic workplace romance, The Hating Game by Sally Thorne, who's also an Australian author who's based in Canberra. Um, And what I like about that book is obviously the building of the sexual tension. Uh, They're at work, you know, there's OH&S, HR (laughs) issues about that sort of thing. But their desks literally face each other. So um, they are enemies. Um, So it's also an enemies to lovers. So this is where you can see there's a Venn diagram. A lot of overlap. A lot of overlap. But yeah, apart from you know, later in the book, some frisky elevator scenes um, were really made to wait because the forced proximity is the the office day-to-day um, where, yeah, it might not be that appropriate to get their spice on. I mean, there's another workplace one that I really enjoyed out of, you know, when we talk about more recent rom-com movies, which was Set It Up on Netflix. Oh, yeah. Which I, th- I found super cute. Is there, are they in a photo booth or something in that? Actually, yeah, I think you're right. I think there might be a photo booth kissing scene. So there's scenes as well within, think that there's a forced proximity scene, but maybe not a forced proximity right. overall plot. Because these are two leads who are not actually working in the same workplace, but they do work in the same building and their bosses, they decide to set up their bosses so that their bosses will have social lives and start putting all of their energy and rage into their two assistants. Mm. And we're, we're speaking a lot about contemporary rom-coms, but rom-coms, you know, can also be historical rom-coms. Uh, so I know arranged marriages, that is forced proximity just by nature of that uh, marital, I guess, bed <laughs> setting. <laughs> Um, There's never beds in a historical... (laughs) Well, no. A canopy bed, right? A canopy bed. Yeah. Yeah, and um, someone to polish my shoes or, I mean, no, do up my bodice. (laughs) There's a reason I write contemporary. But we were also thinking about movies um, and not an arranged setup as in historical, but one of my favourite movies is Green Card. Uh, (laughs) See, I was doing some research and I came across this in a list and I've never seen it, but it sounds amazing. Oh, it's so good. So that's obviously a visa marriage arrangement um, where they're 
being pulled into offices and questioned about the colour of each other's toothbrushes, um, which they can answer because they have been living together. No spoiler. But yeah, Annie McDowell, obviously, she's amazing. Um, and Rom-com queen. Gerard Depardieu. <laughs> Uh, you nailed that. That was good. <laughs> My French is getting better just, you know, from doing press with a duck or orange. Were there any other things that force proximity texts that, that spring to mind? Well, just going back to some other Australian authors, um, we both recently met the lovely Emma Gray, whose debut, The Last Love Note, came out earlier this year. And I think there's there's a few different kinds of forced proximity in that story. It's an interesting book because it's it's absolutely a romantic comedy, but it is based on a foundation of grief. It's about a woman who's been widowed, who's figuring out life without um, this great love of her husband, but also realising she might be ready for a new love. And so she has uh, a workplace romance. You know, there's a, a man that she works with who's been a great friend to her and might be something more. They're also on a plane together. Then there's Yeah, the plane scene, that's really vivid. I think they fly through a storm, right? So they're holding the same armrest and comforting each other. And she's a nervous flyer to start with, so she's then in a vulnerable position, um, which I think is a, a recurring kind of rom-com theme, right? Because often we have these heroines who are too busy for love or, you know, they're too self-centred or they're very driven um, and so figuring out how to be vulnerable with someone else is always a moment they kind of need to go through in order to find love. Um, But in going back to the last love note, they're on the plane, they're going to like a fancy work meeting and then there's terrible weather so they don't get to their destination. They have to spend a weekend in Byron Bay together. Oh dear. And the Writers' Festival happens to be on, right? Exactly. And uh, yeah, the heroine is an aspiring writer. So, yeah, they have lots of different... In different ways, they're being pushed together, Kate and Hugh. Mm. And I just also thought of another example, Island Time, Georgia Clark, who is Australian but lives in New York, I believe, so living the rom-com life, the best of both worlds (laughs) there. Um, And I'm particularly interested in that one at the moment because, as I mentioned, my work in progress is set on an island, but I'm yet to read that one, Claire. So what 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 should I expect with that? Yeah, well, Georgia does these really interesting um, books. I think she calls them ensemble rom-coms. So ah. there's actually quite a large cast of characters. Um, and we have to do another whole episode on the supporting cast and oh. the sidekick best friend. and Almost always mm, the best part. Mm. Uh, yeah, but Island Time is about two sisters climbing back to an island in Australia. You know, they're both originally Australian and I think one of them lives in New York now. And so two sisters coming back um, with their parents and staying in this sort of island resort. And oh, love a resort. Yeah. Well, it was beautiful because I think she did a lot of research around the island is a fictional one, but it's based on a lot of research about sort of the geography of the area so that she could have these different geographical features that were going to play out in the plot, as well as kind of the Indigenous um, implications. You know, there's sort of a ranger on the island who helps some of the characters kind of connect with nature and the more kind of spiritual side of being on that country. Um, yeah, but and the other thing about Georgia, I suppose, is that she's a queer author and that's really something that's always embedded really deeply in the fabric of her stories. So in this case, there is a, a couple... One sister is married to a woman and they're thinking about how to have a child and the other um, hasn't traditionally or I think she might have dated some women before but she's just come off a breakup with a man and then when she kind of falls for this non-binary character who lives on the island, it's a bit of a surprise to some of her family. I love it. I love it. I'm looking forward to reading that one. Um, And I also like the idea that um, the island is fictionalised because I think that's another whole world creation part that is really important to me when I'm reading my rom-coms. As much as I love the romance between the two leads, um, I love to read books that romanticise setting, um, which is why favourites for me um, is writing about New York or some type of exotic location, Um, but even better is some fictionalised place where I'm taking the best parts um, of all the worlds. So an island setting is particularly appealing to me. That's interesting because I feel like the books of yours that I've read so far are very much based in real locations. At what point do you decide 
to fictionalise? Real locations. So, yeah, my stories tend to start rooted in reality and then, you know, turn a bit more wonderlusty and rose-coloured glasses. So I draw inspiration a lot from Nora Ephron's worlds. I think she's amazing at world building. So I will say, you know, in Duck, they're in Paris for 24 hours and it's the best 24 hours that they've had. So I think romanticising sense of place um, when you're only there for a short time and you're not a local, you kind of breeze in and breeze out and take the best parts and live the best parts. Um, and that's what I love to read in rom-coms um, for that escapist element. So yeah, world building is massive for me. I think setting feels really crucial to me as an author as well. And I suppose when I started writing Five Bush Weddings, I was very deliberately going back to my hometown and the kind of parties that I'd gone to with my friends in our youth in regional Queensland and trying to capture how that felt. It just, you know, because I hadn't been able to travel there for a while, it was a, a fun way to visit, you know, remembering the landscapes and the way that people would talk and the kind of food that we'd have at parties like that. One of the other segments that we thought we might do as part of this podcast is something called Now and Then, kind of looking at current or contemporary romantic comedies and comparing them to some of the classics and talking about the kind of stuff that you maybe couldn't get away with mm. now or how, how stories have been updated even over 10, 20 years. And I love the name of the segment because <laughs> there is a movie that I think I saw Hmm, might have been early 2000s now and then, uh, nostalgic. Um, Don't you have vivid memories of now and then? This is our heyday, Karina. We're <laughs> going to date ourselves with this. But I remember watching that at a sleepover in St George, my hometown. Now and then, classic. And I suppose it, it was, it, to me, it's a very 90s movie, but it is set in the 60s. Mm. Following four girls... The story's kind of bookended by them coming together as adult women when one of them's about to have a baby. But most of the story is in flashback mm. to this kind of, I guess, coming of age sort of summer when they're just sort of leaving childhood and becoming, you know, young adults or teens in the 60s. Um, it's just beautiful. I think I remember it mostly. Well, firstly, I do remember where I watched it. I got off school early. I got a chocolate shake to smuggle into the cinema back when, you know, you were checked for all your snacks if it wasn't a Hoyts-approved snack. So they don't check you for snacks now? I don't think so. Well, they serve wine there now, so I'm happy to purchase their snacks. Um, but the chocolate dick shake got spilt all through my bag. And I remember, like, yeah, that being a huge distraction while I was just trying to enjoy my movie. It was the first time I think I can remember seeing basically an all-female cast. I think, yeah, maybe the female version of uh, Stand By Me, uh, which I love that movie, but to see girls my age, um, yeah, I love that. It was a pivotal movie, I think, movie-watching oh, experience. Definitely, like, yeah, a lot of girly stuff. And and funny, you know, they, they kind of oriented it in the 60s, so they had all that amazing music and great costumes. But it felt very universal and certainly very relevant to me as a, a 12 or 11-year-old. Mm. Watching it, you know, it was all the stuff about getting boobs for the first time or, um, you know, first kisses and stuff like mm. that. They're, I think probably the most enduring image from that movie, though, is when you see, was it Devon Sawa's yeah. bare ass? <laughs> yes, where the, yes. The boys are all skinny dipping and the girls steal their clothes. He was also in the centrefold of so many of the magazines at the time. I think Dolly Magazine. Um, he was a teen heartthrob. He teen heartthrob. Casper when Casper yeah. became a real boy. <laughs> I will have to rewatch that movie now, I think. I don't think I've even watched it since that day. So uh, I think I revisited it recently. And it holds up pretty well. I mean, when you look at the cast, like even the the girls, so you've got Christina Ricci, Gabby Hoffman, Thora Birch, who admittedly hasn't been doing much lately, and I actually, sorry, I don't remember the other girl's name. But Devon Sawa actually popped up recently. I don't know if you watched the show Hacks, which is about... Yeah, I've seen Hacks, yeah. So in the second season, when Deborah Vance hooks up with like a younger guy and goes home with him, it's Devon Sawa. Oh. Yeah. Still playing the same role. <laughs> Still so that's a movie that we think. Well, I can't. I can't pr 
properly assess until I rewatch it, but I think it's held up pretty well. What hasn't held up well? <laughs> no, I mean, it has, but I wanted to chat about You've Got Mail. Um, just because while promoting Duck, I think listeners might have caught on by now, I don't even bother trying to say the full title of my book, Duck. Um, You've Got Mail has been referenced quite a bit, and I think it's because in Duck, the plot is um, Max, the protagonist, meets Johnny, her Tinder pen pal, and they exchange text messages, and they don't meet for a very, very long time. In You've Got Mail, I think it was the first movie that I can remember where the two love interests also don't meet. They exchange emails. But there's a problem. There's a problem I've got with that movie, Claire. What could possibly be wrong with You've Got Mail? (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, I'm not sure if we have to familiarise the listeners, but uh, it's Tom Hanks and... And what was it? About 98... So, I mean, it's another Nora Ephron, so it's got of course, that rom-com of course. pedigree. And Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks, of course, probably the biggest rom-com stars of the time, reuniting after uh, Sleepless in Seattle, mm-hmm. another Nora Ephron joint. And so I think, you know, going in, they knew this was going to be a blockbuster of the time. God, remember the time when <laughs> rom-coms were considered, like, you know, they would sell out the theatres. People would turn up with their tickets. I was actually completely off topic. I feel like this is what we're going to be doing this whole podcast. Yeah, um, <laughs> I read an article the other day about the very last Hollywood star, last classic star. There's not going to be any more Hollywood stars. Who was the last one? It was Margot Robbie. It was because of Barbie. And I don't know what they classified as like vintage, authentic. And I don't know if it's just because of what the blockbuster movie is and isn't anymore. Um, I really should have read to the end of that article so I I could have shed more. Um, The headline got me. But I think it's just that they don't make them the way they used to. And in this segment, we're discussing maybe that's a good thing. Well, before we go back to that, I mean, I think there's been a bit of commentary over the recent years and it's because they're like mid-budget movies right yeah I think I remember reading an article not so long ago about the death of the mid-budget movie everything now is about a franchise everything that's in theaters is geared to 14 year old boys so it's you know Avengers it's it's comic books it's special effects video games special effects yeah so but I think we've seen a little bit of a renaissance of the romantic comedy on the streaming services because the data seems to bear out that people are still watching these movies. Hence why we're here in your ears. <laughs> they're just watching them at home in a different way than rather than going to the theatre. Um, but to return to You've Got Mail. And the problem that I have, apart from the fact that we've got big, bad book giant shutting down little, small bookshop, um, which, Claire, I know it's a remake. Yeah, you didn't, I don't think you knew this. I didn't, I didn't know that. Um, but yeah, it was originally inspired by a movie called, I think, The Shop Around the Corner, which they pay tribute in the film because mm. Meg Ryan's bookstore, which I think she inherits from her mother, is called The Shop Around the Maybe Corner. Maybe her auntie. Gosh, we should have brushed up. But <laughs> my, my issue is in Duck, Maxine and Johnny, when they're messaging each other, both have the same level of knowledge about each other. They both only know what they've each told each other. So in You've Got Mail... There's a power imbalance massively because Tom Hanks's character knows the whole time, basically, who Meg Ryan's character is. That's right, because yeah. they go on their, their first date when they're supposed to meet for the first time. He knows. And he sees her waiting there. Yeah. And he goes up. I, was, I don't know why I saw this scene the other day. I think someone had put a little clip of it on Instagram. But, yeah, he's quite mean to her. Because he's implying that she's been stood up on her date when he's the one standing her up. And then he shuts down her bookshop, this, you know, passed down to family, bookish type, loves books, and we're all like, swoon? How? (laughs) It's very clever. Tom Hanks' character's name is Joe Fox because I remember F-O-X and that's how Meg Ryan starts to piece together who he is, I think. Oh, he's like his precocious nephew is like spelling out F-O-X. the name. F O X. Because it's Fox Books. Fox Books. Yeah. Big bad Fox Books. Big bad Fox Books. Well, look, even with this issue, it's still a comfort watch. It is a comfort watch. And what it what do you think makes a comfort watch? Well, there's something aesthetically about these Nora Ephron films mm-hmm. set in New York. New York is always kind of a part of the stories. 
Um, Although so Julie and Julia is another one of hers. Mm. Um, Which obviously is very French. French. But isn't Julie? She's in New York. She's in New York. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. Nora knows her territory. <laughs> Nora knows her territory. Um, I think the other thing that I find often you get in a Nora Ephron movie is um, there's quite adult breakups because, you know, your leads are always with other people that aren't right for them mm-hmm. and that's why they're kind of looking – that's why they're still open to love even. That's actually what I really like about You've Got Mail. The beginning of it is really realistic. Mm. There's – they're both with couples, they're both with partners that aren't right and it's very amicable yeah. <laughs> in the beginning. Right, it's extremely amicable and I think um, Sleepless in Seattle as well when she breaks up with, I think it's Bill Pullman. Mm. It's like a very adult scene. I think Nora would write these couples that, you know, even when they're doing immature things, they're still pretty grown up about stuff. Mm. But yeah, it's the it's the kitchens, it's the food. I mean, I think... What I always come back to with You've Got Mail is when um, he takes care of her when she's sick. Oh, There's that's something right. something very sweet about that. That's right. It does probably make up for some of the jerkiness. <laughs> I mean, it's one of my favourite movies. Um, I just was – one of those things when you go back and you really think about it and you wonder what would stand up now. Yeah. Would that be made now? Well, the email for a start – I mean, I don't think I would have been had the patience <laughs> to sit by that computer while that dial-up was like ding, 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 ding. It was a different time, though. I mean, what's that early episode of Sex in the City where Carrie's like, oh, he's online, can he's you see online. me? And she's like ducking <laughs> under the table. I must say I did um, have an auntie who I sent her an email and she said to me, oh, just one second, um, I've got to make sure my computer's turned on so I can receive it. So none of these things were a given at that time, right? Technology is tricky, though, because so often it plays into some key plot points in a story like this, um, miscommunication or missed messages. I mean, you know, it's something that goes back to Shakespearean times. Think about Romeo and Juliet and that letter going astray. Um, And so you you kind of need to have it, but it does... It's kind of... I'm thinking of in Five Bush Weddings, um, Instagram is a pretty big part of the story just because Stevie's a photographer... So Instagram is kind of a big part of her life professionally. Um, but it's you don't want to kind of wed yourself too much to technology that's always changing. You don't want to date your book, mm. but it's inescapable to a certain extent. But can you date that warm, fuzzy feeling? I don't think so. <laughs> that's, what we're, that's what we're going back to. Yeah, Joe Fox and Shop Girl. Shop, <laughs> Shop Girl. Oh, yeah, that's um, her handle. Yeah, and the... I'm, going to try and think of any other word except saying this word, but I'm going to have to go there. Anonymity? (laughs) Anonymity. Yeah. That, yeah, only just adds to the tension, right? Um, It's like in Duck, or is the experience on dating apps, um, is the filling in the blanks. So there's a lot of opportunity there when you don't have all the information um, about who the person is to make that 2D person 3D in your mind and you get to add frills, you get to make them whatever you want to. Of course, then when you finally have the meet-up, it can be very different from a meet-cute where it's disappointment of expectation. But when it works, when they match up to that 3D picture, (laughs) it's on. Magical. Magical. You've just used a word there that, uh, I mean, I'm sure our listeners know what a meet cute is, oh, but yeah. it's one of those, it's it's part of the jargon of the genre, right? Yeah. I, I stop hearing what's jargon now, I think. To me, I hear milk and meet cute. <laughs> you know, it's, <laughs> I probably say meet cute in my day more than I say milk these days. Mm. Well, you know, obviously a meet cute is the scene where your two love interests meet for the first time. And ideally it is cute. Um, and you have a you have your own meet cute with your husband, don't you, Claire? <laughs> we doing this? Yeah. <laughs> um, well, yeah. I met my husband at a concert in New York. He's American, and I was visiting. And I'd gone to see. So my you even have the setting band. right with New York. I know. Yeah. I know. I'm going to have to do a New York story yeah. one of these days. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but we're just two very tall people who were standing at the back of the room. Um, we were both there on our own, and. Yeah, just got talking. But, you know, we kind of have a meet cute as well. Oh, yeah. We were going to talk about that, weren't we? (laughs) (laughs) Well, we met... On Instagram. Instagram. Yeah. Did I slide into your DM? I think so. I think you might have said, um, can I buy you a coffee? (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, I think you... I, neither of us were published at that point, and I think... I don't know what authors did before Instagram because it's just been such a beautiful way to meet other writers and to kind of start to feel part of a community. But you were you had been doing these really sweet little videos about your kind of journey My to becoming journey. an author. Mm. I was like, oh, I'm on that journey too. <laughs> Maybe I can follow you. Uh, but we met up to write. On the steps of the State Library. Mm. One of our first bonding moments um, we tried, well, we attempted and we still do attempt to write in that library. Um, I always wanted to use that in a story and I still haven't figured out how to do it. But we were in the we were in the Mitchell Library, the very grand historical space at the State Library of New South Wales. Um, and there's sort of a, a catwalk, you know. It is a catwalk, isn't it? Right. So it's a, it's a really large room with a very high ceiling. It's probably two storeys high. And so you can climb these stairs to walk around to access the kind of upper shelves. Um, and they have pretty serious security there. Like if you're sitting at a desk and you have food out or if you have the lid off your water bottle, they mm. will come up and kind of correct you just to take care of all of the historical manuscripts and um, books that are in that space. But this uh, renegade bloke had just climbed the stairs and was kind of cruising around on the catwalk. Is that what happened? Yeah. Oh, and no, I, he was farting. Yeah. <laughs> you missed the punchline. And then he farted. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm, like, monitoring how loudly I'm sipping my water. <laughs> and this guy is just letting it rip. That's right. So I think he our was eyes... just, like, walking around just, like, audibly farting. <laughs> and then I think our eyes met over our laptop and just, yeah, we couldn't stop giggling. And <laughs> that was our match, our, our make A match made in heaven. And then the guard, like, escorted this guy out. Mm. Mm. Yeah, not for the farting. <laughs> not for the farting. <laughs> One thing that we are super passionate, both being Australian authors, is supporting Aussie fiction, because there's a lot of great fiction out there, particularly rom coms that go beyond the book talk favourites. Uh, so Claire, assuming that you're reading a rom-com right now, what's on your bedside table? I've just finished reading a, a debut that's coming out in mid-August, uh, which, let's face it, is probably going to be long gone by the time this is ever <laughs> actually released. Um, but it's called Perfect-ish by Jessica Seaborn. Um, she's another girl who's grew up in Queensland like myself. Did although, she? I didn't know that. Yeah, she's cool. like a she's a brizzy girl, but mm. she's been in Sydney for a long time and and Perfect Dish is set in Sydney. There's quite a few landmark locations in there, which is That's always enjoyable. Fun. Um, but it follows a girl uh, called Prue who is staring down 30 and really feeling like she's not where her friends are. It, it's laid out in a really cute way where it's instead of chapters, it's month by month over a year and each month starts with like three social posts from randoms. You never meet these characters but it just kind of shows where Prue's head is at. You know, it'll be someone celebrating their child doing something cute or someone who's on a fitness journey or someone who's kicking career goals and it's very much about this idea that, you know, she's kind of absorbing everyone else's highlight reel and meanwhile, she has a broken engagement. She's broke up with this guy two years ago and I think she's still kind of bearing the scars from that. She is not, you know, she dropped out of a vet course so she feels like she's disappointed her family um, and she's living in a house that's her brother's house and um, there's this cute storyline where he um, is a romance novelist. He, oh, I love that. Yeah. Where are they? Where are they? The, yeah. romance, the male romance novelist. we got to talk about yeah. this, actually, yeah, because sure. it is... Um, what's the opposite of a sausage fest? <laughs> I don't want to say it. <laughs> <laughs> you say it. I was going to say taco truck, but... <laughs> wow. Wasn't sure where you were going there. I like that. Not many not many men pumping out the rom-coms. Anyway, perfect dish. It's a lot of fun. Mm. I'm going to help Jessica launch that in Sydney. Um, it's got a really beautiful cover. And she's just got a really great voice as an author. I've found um, some of her like throwaway lines of description were the most enjoyable parts of the book for me, just the way that she sees the world. 
it's really fun. I can't wait to read that one. And it sounds like it's almost like a hybrid of messy kind of millennial fiction, um, yeah, where you're kind of entering next phase in life and feeling a bit stuck and um, the rom-com warm and fuzzy um, that I love. Yeah, you're right. What mm. do we call that? Is it the sad girl novel, the messy girl I don't novel? know, but I do feel that there's uh, an emergence of this new genre right now where um, – you know, we spoke about how I love fictionalised worlds and romanticising that. Um, and then you pointed out in my books that they are really rooted in reality as well. So I do think that's important. And I'm seeing a lot more kind of rom-coms rooted in the everyday life, which um, our friend and friend of the pod, uh, Genevieve Novak's books, um, do really well as yeah, well. I think Genevieve is a good, um, a good comp perfectish Genevieve has the the blurb on the cover. Oh, does she? Oh, amazing. That yeah. makes me more excited for that one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, we love Genevieve's books. Um, Crushing came out earlier this year and then her debut last year was No Hard Feelings. Mm, I slid into her DMs after that one, actually. I think I did too. <laughs> so I'm reading also an advanced reader copy. Ark is the lingo, is something that's a great perk of this author life um, and bound to happen. So that's out with Ultimo uh, Press in September by Jonathan Shannon. And it's also a debut. Yes, a man. How did I not think of that? I've just literally finished a book. And it's one of those rom-coms that just gave me all the feelings and it stayed with me. I did read a lot of that one in the bath. So um, it definitely got the right treatment. But it's accidental strangers to star-crossed lovers. Um, I think it might be being promoted as a bit of an anti-rom-com, which is another pod idea, I think. Anti-rom-com. Well, Perfect yeah. Dish is, is being described as anti-rom-com Yeah, as well. so I think it's, um, to call on tropes, I think it's more of the grumpy, don't believe in love, um, and then more of the posit- positive, sunshiny. But really, um, we have Sophie, who's an astrophysicist, and Tom, who's more of the creative, serendipitous, writing um, a song about the stars. Um, and it's all about the near misses. Um, throughout the book, they they almost meet so many times, which is where the title comes from, Bound to Happen. Um, I actually heard that he sold, pretty much sold this book on the strength of a pitch, which was basically Boy Doesn't Meet Girl. <sighs> And, and that's, and it's not, I love my rom-com smart, so I like to learn something. And so um, I don't know, you maybe you know Jonathan's background is in astrophysics, but the star facts you get, the galaxy facts you get, and the two, Tom and Sophie write emails to each other. So harking back to You've Got Mail, I do think that this is the, a very now example of that done really well um so i would definitely be adding that to your to be read um i'm going to reread it when it comes out um and that's the highest compliment when you know (laughs) there's so many new books out i'm looking forward to that one as well now one thing that claire and i enjoy doing together is drinking wine so the next segment is a homage to that. Perfect pairing, uh, where we take a popular book top book or popular book and let you know a great comp title, typically Australian fiction. Yeah, we really want to advocate for Australian writers. Um, I think it's really easy to see the kind of headline books that are popping up again on BookTok or Bookstagram. Um, But, yeah, we want to give you a few other options so you can support some Australian readers. Mm. So we had to start with Emily Henry, M. Hen. So for lovers of M. Hen, and I know there's a lot, uh, for good reason as well, no one writes banter um, and warm fuzzy um, the way that she does. Um, It's definitely a specific style. She's always got the holiday vibe as well, right? Yeah. It's always about a beach house or a lake Yeah, house. and a lot of book content. So that's smart when you love books, you want to read about books. Bookstores, writers, bookish content, um, which is why I think that if you are a lover of Emily Henry, you will enjoy books by Michelle Cullis and Ali Berg. They are a Melbourne duo, so they write books together together. Um, 
Christina Lauren is another, um, that's their pen name. They're a, a pair of US authors who write rom-com together. I'm so intrigued by this. Yeah. How does it work? Well, I have heard um, them talk on podcasts and they do chapter by chapter where they try and impress each other, actually. So they're always trying to make <laughs> each other laugh. Um, and then I guess they go through and edit it so um, they have the same voice or maybe they naturally just have the same voice. I'm not sure. I was imagining, like, did you ever do that thing in school where you would write a sentence and then pass it along? I think, is it called Exquisite Corpse? I don't know what it's called, but... Um, that would be a really long way of writing a book. <laughs> <laughs> sentence by sentence. 80,000 words. Uh, but they run also um, Books on the Rails, which is a Melbourne initiative where they are little book fairies or book ninjas that leave free books on trams. So I think they started that a few years back and that's when they first came on my radar. And off the back of that initiative, they wrote a book called The Book Ninja. Um, so... Like Emily Henry, it's full of bookish content. Yeah, it features the character owns a bookstore. And not only that, I think it's just got the quirkiness and the fun dialogue that Emily Henry brings to her books as well. So Ali and Michelle have three books. So their first book, which was The Book Ninja, and features Frankie, who owns a bookshop on Brunswick Street or Little Brunswick Street for Melbourneites. We're in Sydney. And they followed that up with While You Were Reading, so another very bookish um, book. And then Fancy Meeting You Here, which I remember reading that Christmas 2021 and it gave me all the Notting Hill vibes, actually. So, yeah, I would definitely check them out if you are an Emily Henry fan um, and are looking for a perfect pair for your Australian fiction. Well, I think that brings us pretty much to the end we survived we did it um we're gonna link to all of the books and movies that we talked about in the show notes we'll work out how to do that yeah we're gonna figure out how to do that um and we'll also have a Substack newsletter where we'll send all of that out um i'm also working on that uh and the other thing that we need to set up is instagram Mm. when we do please dm us let (laughs) us know what you're interested in hearing about I'm sure that will be at that rom-com pod. We will check to make sure that name is available. (laughs) We were laughing um, about whether or not we'll look back on this first recorded episode fondly like we do the Sex and City pilot, which, you know, there was a lot of flaws there, um, but the essence was there because what is is it that we are with (laughs) rom-coms? We're not experts. We are enthusiasts. (laughs) We are enthusiasts. On that note, uh, thank you for joining us. This has been really fun. It has been fun. All right, let's hope we can do it again. Yeah, let's do this again. Okay. Bye. Bye.